you. I'm Kim. And I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. Today's guest is Brittany, and she brings to light something that we probably don't talk enough about as a society. Um, She talks about sobriety and her journey to getting there. She talks about domestic violence and custody battles within um, a divorce that's going on between her and her ex-husband. And she talks about this so openly and honestly that you'll just recognize there is power in owning your story. Brittany also shows us that strength is a journey and not something you're necessarily born with. Learning to love yourself isn't always the easiest, but it is a part of healing. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate us on whatever platform you're listening in on so that we can continue to bring you inspiring stories. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Unapologetically You Podcast for pictures of our guests and daily uplifting posts. And stay tuned for Brittany's story. Welcome, Brittany. We're so grateful for your willingness to share your story with us today. Hi. Um, From what we know about your story, it appears that you are on the other side of some pretty dark times in your life. Yeah. Sharing your story so openly on social media can be difficult for some people, but for you, it appears that you're using your platform to motivate others who are in the same place you used to be in. How did you get to this spot where you felt comfortable sharing your personal life with everyone? I debated on sharing it. I started sharing about my sobriety to hold me accountable, honestly, because I had a really hard time keeping my sobriety time because I wouldn't tell anyone and I would go back and hang out with the same old people and not tell anyone what I was going through. and I would pick up a drink again. So this time around, I really wanted to hold myself accountable and just let everyone know. Um, And then by doing so, by sharing about that, by sharing about my divorce, by sharing about other issues that have been happening, I had no idea that so many people would be able to relate to what I've gone through, have gone through similar situations, or may need help getting through a similar situation, um, which has been like a blessing in disguise because like my whole life, I've questioned why God gave me all these struggles. And through social media, it's been a huge wake up realizing like I was meant to help people by sharing my story. Everybody has some dark times. They all struggle. We all have moments where we feel inadequate or we're actually struggling like almost out loud, right? Where people can see that you're you're having a really difficult time. But everybody, once you see that other people have struggled through very similar things, and even if it's not the same type of struggle, mm-hmm. often the emotions are the same. And so it's just seeing that somebody can get through that, that helps them yes. get through their own moment in life, right? So where, like, where did this all begin for you? Like, was alcohol always a problem for you? Or how did that, how did that start? Uh, I think it's definitely a family disease for us. Um, my grandma had it, my grandpa had it, my dad had it. Uh, my dad's been sober for 17 years, but um, I grew up with an alcoholic dad. And um, I started drinking at a very young age. And I remember starting to drink because I was mad at my dad for drinking. And that is why I remember starting to steal alcohol. And I mean, it was from my first drink at 13. I pretty much what like drank to blackout and knew I probably had a problem with it. So it's it's pretty much always been been a problem. Did anyone in your family ever recognize you were drinking at such a young age or that you were sneaking out or maybe were starting to have an issue with alcohol? Yeah, I think it was, it started to be pretty noticeable to people from a young age. And even like by the time I was in high school, I had gotten code violations from getting caught at parties so many times that I wasn't even allowed to do sports. Like it was an issue through high school. Um, 
I missed a lot of school because of it. And it wasn't until like I hit 19 then is when um, things really went south and I needed to go to rehab and get help. Did you recognize that you needed to do that yourself or was there someone else that was pushing you to do that? Honestly, I I felt pushed by family and friends. I You can't really tell a 19-year-old to get sober if they don't want to. And that is my memory from that time frame is I was kind of doing it for other people. I didn't do it really for myself. So once you got out of rehab at 19 for the second time, were you sober then for a while or did you get back into drinking or what exactly happened? So I came to sober living in San Diego where I live now. I stayed sober for about two months and in sober living, I met my now soon to be ex-husband who I'm going through a divorce with. We got kicked out of sober living because we, because we, you're not supposed to date when you're in sober living or in early recovery in general. And we were homeless together. He, was an addict and we both started using and drinking again. Finally, I was like, I have to go back to Wisconsin where I'm from. I I just needed to go back. There was no need for me to stay here anymore. And so I went back to Wisconsin and he called me the next day and asked if he could move there and came with wow. a suitcase. We drank for a little bit, but then we decided we weren't gonna do a drink or anything anymore. And we got married, we had a sober wedding. And then stayed sober for about three years after. And it was like, it was, it's called dry, like a dry drunk, because I wasn't working a program at all. I was sober and not drinking, but I wasn't in like a 12 step recovery program, which really, really, really makes a difference. So during those three years that you were with your husband, then what was your relationship like? It's weird because I think back in that time and I was happy. Um, but like looking back, like a lot of the behaviors that took me 12 years to really realize had started way early on, like his controlling behaviors. So it's like in the moment I was happy, but I don't feel like I was truly myself. Like I was getting used to like being the person that he wanted me to be. That's like super challenging because you're like blind to it when you're in that moment. Did anybody ever say anything to you at the time? Like, this is a little weird or like, why aren't you calling me hanging out with me anymore? Or yes, but like it didn't click in my head until literally like a little over a year ago, things clicked. It took 12 years really for me to kind of see. You have a sober wedding and then you have three years after this where um, you guys are both sober. So then what happens to change that? So we end up moving back out here to California. And when we moved here, like I remember our neighbors coming over with a bottle of wine, like just saying like, welcome to the neighborhood. And I remember us saying, oh, we don't drink because we did it. I don't even know what how it happened, but it did. We decided that we were probably normal people again. Um, I really wanted to be that. Nobody wants sure. to be an alcoholic nobody wants an addict so we started drinking and it was under control for a while um and then I found out that he was sneaking whiskey bottles and I was like well if you're sneaking whiskey I'm gonna sneak vodka I ended up getting pregnant with twins and so then obviously didn't drink through that and then after the twins were born by the time they were six months old that's when I started drinking heavily again and I you know I had no help from anyone my family's back in Wisconsin my mother-in-law had passed away when I was pregnant from cancer and I was just like overwhelmed didn't know how to raise these twins and I had picked up the drinking and um, so did he and that's how we dealt with the stress 
stress of parenting three little kids for about three years. All right. So you're like going through the motions and you guys are both drinking again, coping with parenting. Parenting, obviously, I am not a parent, but Tara is. Like parenting is unreal difficult, right? Especially if you don't have some type of support system. But what you're saying is that quickly turned into like, I'm assuming like getting like uber drunk again, right? We were drinking every single night to the point where at first, like I was drinking so much I was throwing up. But then once my body got used to that, like I wouldn't throw up. And that, But it was every single night. We would put our kids to bed. We would go sit in our garage. And that's what we would do together is we would drink. And then even I mean, towards the end, it was to the point where I was drinking so much that I had to drink during the day just to stay functional. You're drinking this much. Your husband at the time is drinking this much. You have these three young kids. What happened in order to start to make a change again? Yeah, so um, my friend started pointing out behaviors that she told me were not normal, just, you know, controlling behaviors and abuse was noticed by multiple people, friends, babysitters, um, and me growing up with an alcoholic dad, I thought that that was normal. I thought that this type of abuse was normal. And I literally would like laugh and say like, oh, like he had a bad day about it. And people were like, oh, but this is too much. Like, um, so I addressed the issues with him. We worked on them for a little bit. And but eventually, like they would fall back into like, he would be good for a week, and it would fall back into the same thing. And so um, last summer, I was like, I want to separate, I'm going to take the kids to a Wisconsin with me for a month so we can have some time apart and let's see how it goes. And during that month, I had told him I I was open and honest about all of my feelings towards everything because I didn't want to like blindside him. I wanted to make sure he knew where I was because like he was my husband. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to Wisconsin for a month and told him I was looking into divorce and I came back with the kids. This was so now this is August of last year. I don't know why, but like for a last cry of attention, I I was drinking that day and then I took some pills at nighttime and he watched me take them. He stood right next to me in the kitchen. And I asked him if he was going to stop me and he said no. And I mean, I didn't take enough to die or anything. So anyways, I ended up going to bed that night and he called 911. And when the paramedics came, they said she's fine, like her vitals are fine. But he insisted that they take me to the hospital. So I stayed in the hospital for two days. They didn't put me on a 5150 because I I volunteered to stay because I was, you know, something was wrong with me to be acting out this way. And when I was in the hospital um, for two days, he didn't really come. He came once to come visit me, but... He didn't say anything to me. The psychiatrist and the doctors there had said that he had been calling and he was convinced that or trying to convince them that I needed to be sent to the behavioral health unit. So when I was there, um, I had three psychiatrists evaluate me. Um, All three of them said that, yes, I definitely have a problem with alcohol and gave me resources and told me I need to get help for that. But they also addressed that. Um, you know, domestic violence might be a problem and that is not safe for me to go back to the house. But my whole family's in Wisconsin. This was the first of this happened multiple times where I was like, where am I to go? So I would go back. So I had to go back to the home where it would continue for for almost a year, honestly. But like out of curiosity, so when you went back home to Wisconsin for those that month, why did you go back to California? 
So when, when we were there in Wisconsin, he doesn't know this. Um, not a lot of people do, but my mom and I were looking into schools for our kids. I was maybe going to keep them and stay, but I'm like, how can I keep my kids from their dad? How can I do that? It's like looking back, that's like the first thing I wish I would have done differently. Um, if I could, as I wish I would have stayed because at that time I could have, I was my kid's primary caregiver and I could have kept them there legally. Like I could have. Mom guilt is such a real thing. Yeah. And I think if anything, this is such evidence to support that mom guilt really is real. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're sitting here looking and thinking this is the best thing to put my kids in school here, keep them here. But then your mom guilt saying, but I can't keep them away from my dad. I mean, that's completely understandable. Yeah. And I would soon learn that he did not have that, that same mindset about keeping the kids from me, unfortunately. You take these pills and like, let's backtrack even to that. So like he sat and just was like, cool, take the pills. Didn't say anything. Yeah. He swears he didn't see me. He says he didn't. But I, I, I remember exactly where we were standing. And it's very clear to me in my mind, you know, what happened. Like, so anyways, okay, the pills happen. I'm in the hospital for that. I find out that while I'm in the hospital for those two days, even after I was talking to him for six months about how I was thinking about divorce and he never wanted one, out of the blue when I'm in the hospital, he goes behind my back, goes and gets an attorney and files for divorce. So I get out of the hospital and find out that he filed for divorce. But he gives me this ultimatum all of a sudden that I could still have one more camp. And so he then calls his attorney and like cancels it last minute. Okay. And so it doesn't actually get filed. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just did what I've been communicating to you about for six months. And you said you didn't want to do, but I've been very open and honest about communicating this with you. So we're going to go start going to mediation and we're going to do this together now because... Well, what a slap in the face too. So like yeah. out of everything, the hospital's telling you, don't go home to your husband. You recognize you really have nowhere else to go. And then your husband was like trying to file for divorce while you were in the hospital. Yeah. And he was, um, you know, he was drinking and I know smoking marijuana at the time, which he says, you know, really affected his brain. But um, um, yeah, so I was really, really hurt by that. And, you know, through this all, he had convinced everyone in our life that I was crazy. My close friends, like close family friends, our neighbors, um, even my own family. And I admit that I wasn't fully with it. My brain on alcohol and drugs just doesn't work well. Um, also, I had started seeing a therapist who had told me I had never heard about narcissism. I had never heard about gaslighting. I never heard that domestic violence actually was emo could be emotional abuse, psychological abuse. You know, a lot of, I had not heard of any of these things. Um, so it was a huge wake up call to me about that. And it was crazy. He convinced my mom, you know, that I was insane. And so my mom flew out from Wisconsin to, and took a month long leave of absence from her work to come out here and help me with my mental health. You know, I admit my mental health was not good at that stage. I had just got out of the hospital. But when she came to visit within the first day, she saw how he was treating me finally, like somebody got to witness it. Yeah. And she was like, I'm so sorry, Brittany, like we are getting you out of here today. And she helped me find a place to move out into that week. And my mom and him, like, we're always, we're always like really, really close. But I think she realized, you know, it's not just me. This is a two-sided thing and things are being done to me and said to me that 
you know, are extremely, extremely traumatizing. Yeah. So that was a huge relief for me because I was like drowning and, you know, my neighbors would come over and have talks with me and tell me I need to go get my hormone hormones checked. So I would, and like the doctor would be like, your hormones are normal. Pretty much everything was always normal. The only thing that was ever told to me was that I need to stop drinking, but I was in denial still. I didn't want to, I was like so deep in my addiction. I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person that, I had to literally lose everything to finally wake up. And so that's, it only goes downhill from here now still. So your mom helps you get this new place, which is fantastic. Were you able to take the kids or did that then become an issue with your husband at the time? Yeah. So it went really good for the first month. My mom stayed with me in my new condo and I had started getting sober and going to meetings. I don't know how long I made it before I started sneaking. Um, I wasn't being truthful about my sobriety, even to my own mom who was living with me. I wasn't drinking a lot. I was still drinking. Uh, Husband and I started going to mediation. We had decided on a 50-50 schedule and everything was good. Like there was things in my past and there's things in his past. And we decided we weren't going to bring them up in mediation because it was going to blow both of us out of the water, like tear us down. But he decided to bring up my side with about my alcoholism. So I voluntarily gave up custody of my kids for 30 days to him so I could get sober. All I had to do was go to five meetings a week and stay sober, basically. It went good until the very end. I started drinking again. And on the day I was supposed to get custody back, we were supposed to go back to our normal schedule after normal custody schedule after that 30 days. He took me to court on an ex parte. And that was November 14th um, of last year. And I was not served papers. So I did not know what I was going into. Um, I had got an attorney who told me that I'm fine as long as like I didn't do anything that 30 days. And there was no proof that I had drank, but I, I knew I had, but he didn't. And I was like, no, everything's fine. She's like, then you'll be fine to show up, you know, the next day. So I showed up by myself unrepresented and the judge basically went, okay, ordered like, and I was like, your honor, I just want to make sure like we're going back to like our, our original schedule. Right. And she goes, yes, what was ordered. And I was like, okay, great. Well, I don't know what that means. I'd never been to court before. And I walk out of there, I call my mom and I'm like, mom, everything's fine. Like everything's great. You know, we're going back to our normal schedule. And then I look at the paper um, that I walked out with and it says supervised and unsupervised visit. And I'm like, what? And so I call the attorney and she's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't really know. But I soon come to realize that I lost custody of my kids that day. To the man that I was married to, who was also an alcoholic. Yeah. So that day was the worst day of my life. I decided I was going to drink myself to death. And it's crazy because I think of all of the crazy things I've done in my life, you know, losing custody of my kids is probably the craziest thing. And then, but it's not. The craziest thing is that I decided to still pick up a drink after that happened. Um, And that is the insanity of the disease. That day, I decided I was going to drink myself to death. And the next morning, I woke up and I was still alive and I decided to empty my bank account and check myself into a detox that day. My blood alcohol, when I went into the detox, 
was a 0.457. You should be dead at that point. Um, and I was still functioning, walking. I mean, I just walked into detox with two tall cans in my hand. I stayed there for two weeks. When I had tried to get sober on my own previously, I had had seizures because the withdrawals were so bad. Sure. So I knew I needed to be at this point with my, how much I was drinking, I knew I needed to be in a medically monitored, safe environment. What's a detox program even consist of, I guess? You know, like, what is that like for somebody going into it for the first time? I mean, they pretty much medicated me to the point where I was just out for the first three days. Like I slept for the first three days and I was on anti-seizure medicine, so I wouldn't have seizures. You go through a lot of emotions when going through a withdrawal, like major highs and lows, super bad anxiety, feeling sick. After, so after the two weeks, you walk out of this detox program Mm -hmm. and then what? And then so here's another thing. So I am to my bank account to check myself into this detox. So I couldn't pay for my condo anymore. I have nowhere else to go. My husband has taken my kids from me because he thinks I am unfit to parent. I know deep down that he'll let me come back. And so, I mean, it makes no sense. He takes my kids from me, says I'm unfit to parent, but sure, you can come back and live with us. And so I called him. I didn't have anywhere else to go. So I went back. You know, it is not healthy for me to be in that environment. It's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. So I went back. I got out on Thanksgiving and um, I was really, really depressed. He was really supportive in my recovery. That was like one huge plus is he really, really did he did want to see me get sober, but it was just the fact that he, I, there were so many other things he could have done to help me in my sobriety than to take, to constantly, you know, take my children away from me and use my children against me. So yeah, I go, I get out and things are going okay. You know, I'm staying sober, things are going fine. And then January comes along and I'm a photographer. So I go to, Mexico to shoot my first destination wedding. And I had plans on staying sober. I had no plans on drinking on this trip, but I walk into my hotel room and there is a full bar in there just for me. I wasn't strong enough at that point to ask them to take it out of the room. I instantly, in my brain, I was like, oh, I'm drinking. So I relapsed in January and I had had like almost two months sober at that time. During this time, did your was your ex-husband drinking still or was he sober? He was sober. So pretty much when we signed divorce papers, he quit drinking. I kind of did the opposite. I was like, I'm free. You know, I'm finally free. I can do what I want. And I went a little off the deep end where he, he did get sober at that time. Sure. So you're in Mexico and you relapse. And I relapsed bad. More than anything about like alcoholism, like, of course you didn't want to relapse, right? Mm -hmm. That's just what the addiction does to you. Like, it doesn't matter that you absolutely love your children and you would Mm -hmm. never want anything to happen to them again. It's like, that's how strong the addiction is. When you came home then, what was that like? Did you, were you honest about that or did you kind of? Oh, yeah. I was honest. I I mean, I relapsed. And so I drank really heavily for three days. I didn't drink the day that I shot the wedding. um, But the next the last three days I drank. So I had called my then husband and told him that I had drank and that I wasn't even going to be able to drive home from the airport that he had to come get me. Yeah, I was open honest. But when I got back, I that night, 
he had went and bought me a bottle of vodka, which is, yeah, I had asked him, you know, if he would, and he said yes. And so that is something, I don't know, I have a lot of, a lot of denial about like, you know, of actions of his because I loved him so much. And that is strange, you know, that he would go out and buy me that bottle of vodka. But after that, I decided I was going to get sober again. And on day four of me getting sober, I remember it was a normal day. And I was like, wow, I'm not feeling any withdrawals. Like I'm feeling really good. And then I start hearing voices and seeing things like very, very vividly. And I literally, I thought it was like, I'm like, wow, this is like my moment. I've always said, I've always needed, if I'm going to believe in God, I need a miracle to happen. So I thought that this miracle was happening. I was hearing things. They were telling me to open the Bible and read Bible verses. And I was hearing music from like my computer, like songs I had never heard before, but I could hear them perfectly. And then we'd look them up and they were real songs. At the end of it, it was so crazy. Like I was hearing these voices that told me to go to the window and they told me to put my hands up in the air. And then I realized they're like something was pulling me off the ground. And I realized in my head, or I think, oh my gosh, I'm not being saved right now. I'm dying and I'm going to heaven. So I start freaking out when I, this it sounds so crazy, I know. But um, then when I don't, when I don't ex- go to heaven, because I got scared, I put my hands down, then the devil comes in the house. And it's like this windstorm and it wraps around me and I like freak out and I run out in the front yard and I like, I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing all my neighbors like yelling stuff. And, you know, then husband was like, Brittany, no, no one's yelling anything. Like nothing's in the sky. And I snapped out of it. And I was like, take me to the hospital like right now, because that was really scary. Like you didn't hear any of that. You didn't see any of that. And he's like, no. So he took me to the ER and he didn't even come in with me. I thought for sure I was going to behavioral health unit. Like I'm loony bin galore. And the doctor was like, no, you're just going through, you're on day four of getting sober. You're going through really bad alcohol withdrawals. We're going to just prescribe you Valium, which I had had before for withdrawals. And then he let me go. I've never heard a voice or seen things since that day, um, thankfully. So I do believe, because for a while I was like, you know, who knows? Like that can be so many issues. That's how crazy alcohol withdrawal can be. Like that's a perfect example. I mean, like you were sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now he prescribed you Valium. So like then it's like basically, so then it's like you're basically doing this like detox all over again, right? But just on your own. Yeah. Yeah. So this is now 2020, January of this year. The Valium that he prescribes me, I've never been a pill taker. But I end up really liking this Valium. And I found some that, you know, wasn't prescribed to me, but I technically still had this prescription for it. So I did start taking it a little bit more than normal. Not like, not like crazy addicted to it or anything at this point, but definitely to enough where I was getting high from it. And I started also talking to this guy that I had met in detox. Because, you know, I met my husband in sober living at 19. Now I meet this new guy in detox because that's a good idea in Brittany's brain. Uh, (laughs) You know, husband finds out that I'm talking to him and is not happy about it because I am living with him. And we are maybe trying to work it out. But at the same time, I have nowhere else to go. So it's my only option. Right. I I feel so stuck and so trapped. And, you know, through this all, like the, the, 
the verbal abuse is still happening. He swore I was the devil and that I had demons inside me. And like, that is just like so hurtful to like hear over and over. And that's like the last thing you need to hear when you're trying to better yourself. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So February 1st, I wake up all of a sudden to a suitcase being thrown on me from husband saying, get out. And I was like, get out. Like, where am I going to go? You can't just kick me out. Like, where am I going to go? So we end up getting into a pretty big fight. And like, I call my mom and my mom's like, Brittany, everything was fine. I'm like, I know mom, but he saw I was talking to this guy and now he's telling me to get out. So I end up calling the police who come and they're like, yeah, you can't kick her out, you know, but one of you should probably leave. So I leave. Then I realize, oh my gosh, I left him such a frantic. I didn't say goodbye to the kids. So I turn around and come back. And when I come back, we get into another pretty bad argument where we both called the police again. The police come and said, okay, you know, this is a domestic issue. We have to arrest one of you. They do a sobriety test on me. And, you know, I'm a hardcore alcoholic and I'm like, I'm sober. I've been sober now for 30 days, but I'm, I'm taking this Valium that, I'm, that I have a prescription for. Yeah you know, but was taking more than I needed to. So they do the sobriety test on me. Eventually they're like, okay, we have to arrest one of you. It's going to be you, meaning me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, so irate. So sober Brittany, the alcoholic goes to spend 12 hours in the drunk tank sober. And I end up asking them, you know, when we're driving there, I'm like, because they had told, they had came back and told husband apparently that they thought I was on meth and heroin, like uppers and downers. And at that point in my life, I had never even touched any of those things. And so I'm like, I get to the station and I'm like, you guys need to draw my blood because like, I'm not getting charged with something that I'm on. Like I have a prescription for Valium. Um, That's the only thing that I took. Yeah, it took a while to actually find out those results, you know, especially with COVID, but eventually that it got dismissed. Like I had nothing else in my system and I just dropped it. So I wasn't charged with anything. Good. I'm allowed to leave after three hours. If I have a ride, he won't come get me. And I don't know anyone else's phone number by heart. So I can't call anyone else to come get me. So I have to stay in there for the full 12 hours. Then when I get out, he still won't come get me. So I take a Uber back to the house where then he comes and shows up with the cops And he's like playing this, like, he's like scared of me game. Like he's frightened of me. And like, I'm some terrible monster when I'm like trying to get my life together. Basically the cops were like, yeah, one of you should still leave. And I'm like, it just sucks because his whole family is here. And I would, I would always be like, can't you just go over to your dad's house when we get into an argument? Can't you just stay the night at your dad's house? Like, cause then when I would leave, he would use it against me and say I was going to my friend's house to party when I was like, no, we needed time apart. And I was going over there because you wouldn't leave and I needed somewhere to go. Right. So I had to leave that day. And at this point I had made some good sober. I, I had known a lot of sober people in recovery and I should have called them looking back. I should have called. I, I know who to call now if something like this were to happen, but I wasn't strong enough then at that point. And I called the man that who I had met in detox. That's when we began. We had like a week long. My mom calls it our hiatus because. We were homeless, basically, but I had good credit at the time, and and so we could stay in hotels. That day that I left, I wasn't really sure. I thought maybe I'd just be gone for a couple days, and then things would cool down, and I'd come back, but I really didn't know. And then I found out that 
he filed a restraining order on me because of something that this this guy that I had met in detox, he said something threatening about husband. And I told husband out of concern for him because I was it, it because just because I was concerned and he husband then put the restraining order on me instead of him, which, you know, I'm not in denial about, you know, my alcoholism and I own up to all of my actions. But that is one thing where that restraining order should not have been put on me. It should have been put on the person that said it. So when I found that out, I couldn't go back home. This is the week in February. I started I started using heroin and meth for a week. Oh my gosh. And I had never done that. Like that was not me. I was like a hardcore alcoholic. That was my thing. Um, but I really I really didn't care at that point. I was just so depressed. You know, I had lost custody of my kids. Now I had lost my home. I wasn't going to be allowed back in the home. I pretty much lost everything. And this guy, you know, was, I felt taking care of me and making me feel loved. And that week, and honestly, I don't remember a lot from it. A lot of it is a blur. You know, my mom said she would call me and like, sometimes I, you know, would just be crying saying I miss the kids. Eventually... You know, you can't do those kind of drugs at a rate that I was doing them if you don't do them normally. And I ended up overdosing and the um, guy I was with found me in my car. Eventually that ended up me in the hospital. And, you know, in the hospital, it's the same thing that's happened, you know, before is they give me lots of resources on where to go for treatment. But these treatments, they have six month long waits and I don't have the type of money to pay out of pocket, you know, to get home. Right. I end up in the hospital. And then the next day when they let me go, I have two options. I am either going to go to Mexico and disappear. Like that was literally a, an option for me or... I was going to go back to Wisconsin because I couldn't go back to my house. I couldn't see my kids. I was going to go back to Wisconsin with my parents, get sober and start this new track. And that's what I decided. And it's crazy because I didn't decide that for myself that day. Like God picked me up in a way that like I could have never done for myself. I was at the lowest point in my life and I had lost everything. And yet he gave me that strength to decide to change my life that day. Yeah. So that was February 9th. Um, and that's my sobriety date. Oh, for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> Obviously that journey of getting there sucks, right? That whole thing sucked. However you get there, whether it's rock bottom or whether it's just like a bad week or whatever it is, you got there and like, look at you, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, the first couple months were really hard. Um, but I found an attorney who, you know, had some hope in this. And I showed up 28 days that um, I had to be away from them. So we, my mom and I flew back to California for the court date. And thankfully, we didn't even have to go in front of a judge. Our attorneys were able to kind of work something out. And I got to see my kids again after 28 days, which was like oh. the best day of my life. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um um, which I didn't really realize until recently, you know, getting sober and like fi- finding all this out about myself and learning about myself is that now I have PTSD from that time. And um, yeah, trauma, basically, um, yeah. you know, reliving that time. And it's, yeah, that's something else now that is part of my story because of 
you know, my actions and my consequences and what had to happen is now I have to deal with that on a daily basis. But, um, you know, the most important thing was like, I got my kids back. We were only, we were only on scheduled visits. Um, I monitored my sobriety with this breathalyzer device that I did voluntarily. Um, I went to meetings. I got a sponsor. Um, my mom decided she was going to stay here in California with me because otherwise she knows what would have happened. I would have went back to the house again. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, I was like, I honestly was thinking like, I just want my family back. And it's worth it for me to have my kids in my life and stay unhappy in a marriage. But thankfully, my mom decided to stay out here. So we got a place together. You know, life has been pretty good. Still, though, to this day, I don't have physical custody of my kids back. Yeah. And so through this all, you know, and sharing my story and, you know, getting help and working on myself and figuring out, you know, my character defects and admitting my wrongs and making my amends. Like I realize there's still a lot of a lot of issues that have happened to me, you know, with the especially along lines of the emotional abuse. Um, right. And so I started talking about it on social media and on TikTok. And it is something that is not talked about enough that people go through um, because it is real and it causes real pain and it is traumatizing to women, men, children, anyone that is going through it. When I talk about him, I don't want to bash him. He's the father of our children. I love him. I always will love him. But I have been through stuff that, you know, needs to be brought awareness to because it's not talked about enough. And I've, I can save, you know, one person from going down the road that I had to go down. It's worth it to me. And that's something I've been able to do. It's been the most amazing reaction that I've got from sharing my story. I get hundreds of messages every single day from women and men, whether they're in sobriety or in abusive relationships, um, just thanking me, you know, for sharing my story and being an inspiration or like reaching out and actually asking like questions. Um, And I spend like literally hours a day now just talking to these strangers and helping them through their problems. And it's amazing to like feel like I can make an impact. And I'm sure it feels like even therapeutic for you to do that. It is. It is, you know, because like I said at the beginning, you know, I always wonder why God put me through all of these struggles. And it's come to a point now in my life where I realize why. And it's because I am meant to help people. And, you know, through this all, like, you think that, you know, after the divorce and being out of that, like the abuse would stop, but it doesn't. It still happens every day. I've owned up to a lot of, to everything that I have done. You know, emotional abuse with the after effects is I still, like, I question my sanity every single day still. Um, like constant second guessing myself, like anxiety, I have trust issues, I get triggered. Um, I have this need for reassurance that I shouldn't have to need from from people. Um, you know, this feeling of like never feeling good enough, like that is some those are like the after effects that emotional abuse like, you know, sticks with you. That, like you said, like there just isn't enough awareness. People don't talk about like what has happened to them, their situations, the relationships that they're in enough because everybody's trying to look so picture perfect on social media and in just in the real world in general, you just don't want anybody to think negative about you. Right. 
But it's like, I, to me, like the more honest you are about yourself and the more that you own up to like the things that you've had to go through to get to be the person you are, like that's what's admirable to me. Yeah. And you know what? I played that picture perfect person on Instagram. You know, nobody knew what I was going through really. I mean, a couple people really close to me, but no one knew. I mean, even a lot of my friends didn't even know I had, were struggling in my marriage or had problems with my alcoholism because I couldn't be honest with myself and I didn't want to be honest with others, you know, but I'm so thankful that I got to this point where, you know, I know that I can be strong and independent on my own and I feel comfortable talking about my struggles um, now that I have made it to this point to where I'm at and can help others from it. Well, again, honestly, like kudos to you. Like this is This is so amazing. I mean, we tried really hard. We were still doing marriage counseling up until six weeks ago. Like, you know, I wanted to make sure that the decision I made when I was drinking, you know, to get a divorce was really still what I wanted sober. And I wanted to see, you know, if he was willing to own up, you know, to what he had done. And if he was willing to show me some respect for what I did for our family for the last six years by staying at home. I know I destroyed our family with my alcoholism, but I also like held it together, you know, for a long time. Right. You know, I, I had, I had forgave him for everything he had done. And, you know, obviously I know I did a lot to hurt him too. It was a two sided street. I know I had forgave him, but I couldn't forget it. And I could not stay in this marriage and go back to it again and live with myself knowing I would never be fully uncomfortable, fully comfortable or fully happy again. I could never feel like myself. So yeah, this is my new journey um, as a single mom and recovering alcoholic. You know, I'm proud to say that. Well, and you should be proud. You have everything to be proud of. Thank you. Brittany, like you said, I mean, there's so much power in telling your story and letting others learn from your mistakes and seeing that you've come out on the other side and you're getting to that, that spot where, I mean, it'll work out, right? And you got through it. What advice would you give someone who's recognizing that they need help? The first thing that they have to do is, you know, accept that they have a problem or that they're in a rough situation and that they need help. Like acceptance is the first thing you have to do. I, a lot of people that reach out to me, they're like, I'm just not really sure if, if I'm ready for sobriety. And I'm like, you have to know. Um, I was blessed with the gift of desperation. I really, really wanted to get sober. Not everyone has that though. You have to be willing to go to any length. The reason you're where you're at now, which is helping all these people the way that you are, is because of all the things that you went through, right? But do you have any regrets? To where I am today, no, I don't. Because I am proud to be the person I am because I fought to become her. It wasn't something that came easy to me. I like literally had to fight and still have to every, every single day. You know, it's a choice to wake up and decide to stay strong and not go back to the toxic relationship. It's a choice to stay sober every single day. And I choose that, you know, not only for myself, but for my kids. Your strength is absolutely amazing. Thank you. I didn't always have it. And that's another thing, you know, a lot of people are like, how did you find this strength? I can't, I don't know how I'm going to leave, you know, the toxic relationship. And I'm like, it took me a long time to get here. Like you guys, you guys heard, 
I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, it's not something that comes overnight. Like it, it definitely is a journey. Right. Definitely. So I've been kind of going along with that. What have you learned about yourself going through this entire process? You know, like part of working in 12 step recovery program is through, you know, one of them, you learn a lot about your character defects, being an addict and an alcoholic. We are selfish people. And that is one of mine. Um, So that's something I work on every single day to make sure that I am putting others first. You know, I learned despite everything you go through, you know, that there you can find strength in, in times that you, you know, never thought were possible. And then also, you know, I've learned that I'm never alone in this and either is anyone else going through it. There is such a huge community of um, domestic violence survivors, sobriety, people in recovery out there. So many resources now to help women, addicts, alcoholics, men, anyone struggling with their battles. What do you think the hardest part about your journey is? You know, the hardest part was like losing my kids because I lost myself. Something I had to do in this process is like learn how to love myself. I never, ever loved myself. I searched for that love in other people my whole life. And yeah, something I am proud of, proud of that I can say that I do love myself today. Um, You know, because I fought really, really hard to be here. But yeah, as a mother, the hardest thing was, you know, seeing my kids witness that and you know, seeing their mom get fall down, you know, time after time after time. And, you know, that was another thing I knew we needed to get out of that toxic relationship because I didn't want my kids growing up thinking that that was normal. It is not normal. You know, it's as hard as it, you know, it is to live, you know, with mom and dad separately and live a separated life. Like it's so much better than them having to witness the arguing and the abuse and, all of it. What do you hope the main takeaway is of your story for our listeners? Honestly, what I hope people get from this is just because I've been there in the I've been there at my bottom. I've been there in the darkest times. And it's really, really hard to find strength. I just want people to know that they don't, you know, it's not something that's going to come overnight. You know, it may be a journey, but it will come, you know, and you just you have to stay strong. And find strength in areas, you know, you never thought were there. Um, I also just like, you know, want people in sobriety, you know, to know that they're not, they're not alone. I I was shocked with TikTok and the amount of the sober community on there is crazy. I go live every day and talk about sobriety with other recovering alcoholics and addicts for an hour. And I, I know it's just great to like, hold each other accountable. And then also in, you know, women who are in domestic violent situations that there is a way out, there is help. And, you know, no one deserves to be treated like that. You know, abuse is abuse, no matter if it's physical, emotional, psychological, financial, sexual, you know, abuse is abuse. And it's not talked about enough. First off, sister, you are such an inspiration. Like, oh my goodness. Like, it's so amazing that you're using your platform to do this, right? Like if, if all of us were to just do this, 
the world would be such a better place, right? If we were all just open and honest with each other and like way to take that first step and be a part of the change. Before you go, we've got a fun little pop question, a couple pop questions that we're going to go ahead and ask you. What's your most used emoji? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. You guys, I am like all about the laughter. Like laughter yeah. is my love language. I wish it was a love language. Like the crying laughing it's like my favorite yeah and then probably like the second one is the blue heart because of my blue hair um if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life what would it be well no I was gonna say happiness but if I say it no because happiness you need the you need the sad parts of life to have the happiness I almost want to say like right now humility is such a part of my story so I almost want to say that because that's what keeps me humble today yeah. And if I had to say materialistically, TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) What is your stance on pineapple on pizza? I just hung out with a friend the other day who who brought me pineapple pizza. And my thoughts are, I hate pineapple on pizza. (laughs) But I'm also the nicest person in the world. So did I tell them? No. They go, oh my gosh, you like pineapple on pizza? That's so awesome. And I was like, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I'm learning how to stick up for myself better, but um, I do not like pineapple on pizza, but I will pretend I do. And then last question, toilet paper over or under? I have no idea what I do. I have no preference. That is like the least bit of worry in my life, you know? Either way works for me. Awesome. Well, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Of course, you are so inspirational. The amount of people you're helping with your story is just phenomenal. Thank you so much for being unapologetically you. Thank you. We're so happy you joined us, and we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you. Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at unapologeticallyyoupodcast. And please subscribe, rate, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean so that we can continue to inspire you.